Indie Radio presents The Spotlight Internet Radio Show, Season 14. The program that puts the spotlight on independent content creators. Each week, our hosts bring to you entertaining and thought-provoking episodes. This is your home for news about television, film, gaming, and much, much more. Join us live here every Wednesday as we bring to you interviews and biting commentary. And now, your host, Jen and Kente. Hello, and welcome to an all-new episode of The Spotlight. I am your host, Kente, all the way live from Los Angeles, California, and I'm so happy to be here with you wonderful people tonight. We have a great show for you. This is episode number 258. And joining me is my lovely co-host all the way from Hawaii, Jen. How you doing, Jen? I'm doing really, really well. I, I am amazed that there are that many episodes of The Spotlight. That is really incredible. Yeah, we've... We've uh, uh, we've been torturing audiences for quite a long time with our I, content. <laughs> so. I, I feel like we should have a party. I think I sent us at one point, didn't we? we? That we should have some kind of virtual party and do shots. We I, should I'm do that. Let's idea. have. I'm always up for a party. I'm always up for a party. I'm always up to have a good time. And any excuse is fine, right? I mean, I don't really drink a whole lot, but you know what? I might have to for this, uh, this occasion. Th- that's all the better reason for us to do the spotlight with a bottle of tequila. I think that we should make this a plan. Is there is there any laws against uh, podcasting while intoxicated? Uh, are you asking me? Yeah. I'm going to say no. You are. <laughs> Absolutely not. You're so big on the rule of law and all of that stuff. Oh, so, no. Uh, <laughs> That's why I'm asking you, because, you know, obviously, I don't know anything listen, about that kind of stuff. Listen, I am not reformatting society presently. That's only for the post-apocalyptic world. So Look, we don't live in the post-apocalyptic world. We can enjoy as much tequila as we want. Every time, you know, we do these things where we're talking about, uh, you know, you all, you love to bring up, you can't suspend the rule of law. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm well, like, okay. wait oh, minute, geez. wait a minute, wait a minute. Let, let's just get something straight. We can suspend the rule of law when it fits our hedonistic needs. <laughs> then our it's okay. Then needs. nobody's gonna care. We're good. We're good. Oh wow, <laughs> you are hilarious. Um, be- before we uh, introduce our guest, uh, I d- we do have some uh, sad news to report on the program, um, and I guess it's been about a couple of months now. Since uh, we on Cinema du Fromage, our other podcast, we were reviewing the the movie um, Return of the Living Dead, and um, this actor uh, James K- uh, Karen, uh, who pe- many people know from Poltergeist as well as Return of the Living Dead, unfortunately passed away. Uh, he was a terrific actor. Uh, he was ninety four years old. Wow. Wow. Um, wow. And uh, he had over two hundred acting credits. Uh, his, you know, career spanning from 1948 to 2018. So, uh, you know, he was a, a great actor, and people probably remember him most from Return of the Living Dead. But uh, he's been in a lot of stuff. So, what'd you think when you heard that? Uh, 
I, I was really sad. Um, and, you know, he's the, this is the kind of actor who I imagine in 20 years or so would be the kind of person that they would spotlight on uh, like a, you know, a TCM kind of a thing where you go back and you look at the retrospective career of someone. Because, you know, some of his parts were not, they weren't huge, but they were really effective. This guy was a really consummate professional actor. He was good. Yeah. So it's really sad. Very good. My actor. prayers go out to his family. Had, uh, had a lot of range, too. He could do dramatic stuff, co comedy. Definitely. Very, very good. I didn't see this article right here. Uh, this is interesting. Uh, it's probably BS. It says Robert England teases that he may have one more Nightmare on Elm Street left in him. Uh, oh, okay. <sighs> I kind of hope not. <laughs> you don't want to see him donning the, uh, the the green and red uh, striped sweater? I, I, I know. It must be very unpopular, but I don't. I, 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 of all the franchises, of all the slasher franchises that I wish would die, that's the one that why, I wish would die Why are you on Elm Street? I, I just, because you know what it is? Because A Nightmare on Elm Street started out so good and then... Like so many other things, I don't know what happened, but the writers thought, I know, let's add some kind of myth. And it just made it horrible. Just make it scary. Just make it scary. Hmm. Go. I hate all of the stuff that they put into it. All the fluff, all the backstory, all the, no, no, no. Scare me, scare me. But keep all the backstory out. I hated it. Uh, you know, he's only 71 years old. He looks great. I don't know if you've seen him lately. Oh, yeah. No, it's not about him personally. Oh, my gosh. He could be in anything. And I hear that he's such a nice guy, too. I hear, like, when he goes to conventions, when he's with fans, that he's really, really good to them. So it's totally not personal. I'm not being ageist. I absolutely promise it's just the franchise. Oh, wow. This says that he worked on Halloween, the original movie, for just one day. Hmm. He worked on Halloween for one day? Yeah. What did he do? Uh... Uh, it just says that he was there throwing dead leaves around. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that's great. It's funny. I've never heard that before. That's interesting. But let's see, what is this? Um, oh, MovieWeb. That's a, that's a good source, MovieWeb. So, uh, but anyway, so, uh, yeah. Maybe he, maybe he really does think that he does. I mean, maybe there's, but, uh, you know, this is just a shout out to anybody who might be developing the script. The, just scare people. Don't stop it with the myth. Stop it. Just stop it. <laughs> well, if I want a myth, I'll go see Odysseus. <laughs> well, speaking of scaring people, uh, this week, uh, weekend box office, uh, uh, it was Halloween, which won the weekend box office with uh, $76 million on a $10 million budget. God, that's so impressive. Oh, man. I know somebody's over there just enjoying all the piles of cash i wonder do they just do they just show up to your house with like a brinks truck and just start dumping it on your bed all the money when you uh when you when you hit it like this yeah i think they just install an atm outside your bedroom you can just like <laughs> go grab insta cash oh man uh and you know i i saw the film uh and I, I maybe i should do a proper review uh coming up soon but uh the, the movie was very good and uh so and we see stars born has done very well it's grossed over a hundred million dollars on a 36 million dollar budget so uh, that's, that's a you know why hit. it's because a star is born is one of the first real kind of uh uh 
good romance stories to come out of Hollywood in a while. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's done really well. It's really done well. Oh, you saw it? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I didn't know you saw it. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, and it, it is, I mean, it's it, it's poignant. It's well acted. Um, you know, I mean, it's got some sappy little stuff in it, but it's actually really, really good. I, I was very impressed by it. it. I think I was most impressed by uh there's just this overall tone that we don't get to see very often. And by the end, you really feel a lot, which is kind of important. Mm. Okay. Well, I'll have to check it out. What about uh, First Man? Did you see that one? I did not. Oh, okay. Damien Chazelle, which I love Whiplash. I didn't see La La Land. But, uh, you know, Whiplash one of my favorite movies. So I've heard mixed reviews on that. So uh, I would say, though, out of this list... There's only one movie I wanted to see out of all of these movies. Um, none of these other movies do it for me. I mean, most of them, I, I mean, I would probably see maybe on on DVD or something like that. But uh, no, well, it's not doing it for me. So I don't know. Well, it, it's still, we're, we're sort of post, or well, I should say we're pre-November stuff when stuff comes out in November, right, for thanksgiving and things like that but we're in a weird kind of stage right now because there's not a whole lot coming out that's too big other than what's already been out no not at all all right so let's get to our guest uh our guest is a filmmaker uh he's despite what some people have thought he's not my cousin uh it's the one and only dustin ferguson how you doing dustin good how you doing Pretty good, man. Pretty good. I'm so glad to have you on the program. And we're going to talk a lot about horror and talk a lot about uh, your career, of course, and what you have coming up. But I want to first start off, man. Where are you from, man, originally? I'm actually originally from Lincoln, Nebraska. I've only been in California 10 months now. Oh, okay. So you're new to to the area. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, Lincoln, Nebraska. So are you you're a big Cornhusker fan? I wouldn't say I'm a Cornhusker fan. <laughs> She's like, he's like, I had to get up out of there. I, I am not mad at you for that. Uh, so what was it like growing up in, in Nebraska? Well, you know, it's interesting because I guess when you're in it, you don't know any different. You know, it's simpler there. Um, it's very cozy and family oriented and, you know, sort of in the Bible Belt. There's all that, you know, so doing movies there was always really difficult, I think, for that reason. I really had to come to work. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, were you one of those people who, at a young age, knew what, what you wanted to do? Yeah, in fifth grade, fourth or fifth grade, I wrote a script for Child's Play 4 as a class project. Oh, really? Really? Was there, what, what were some of the highlights in your script? Um, I, I don't remember much about it, except for that um, Andy Barkley was taking a field trip, and Chucky was stalking him there. And he was living in an apartment building, and I had a scene where Chucky was going up the stairs that was just like in part one mm-hmm. to build the suspense. I remember oh, my nice. teacher was like, yeah, my teacher was really impressed with it because I remember during parent-teacher conferences, he showed it to my mom. <laughs> <laughs> so was Chucky one of your favorite uh, horror uh, characters? Yeah, I had like this weird obsession with Chucky when I was little because I always wanted a Chucky doll, but back then it was really hard to get one. They had a... Uh, Things You Never Knew Existed catalog, and it had a lot of weird stuff in it. And there was a Chucky doll in one of those. I remember for like my 13th birthday, my mom tried getting me one and they were sold out. 
Mm-hmm. And so ever since then, I got like so obsessed with getting him. Now I have this whole Chucky doll collection. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's kind of creepy, though, because Chucky is, you know, is uh, possessed by a serial killer. <laughs> so right. I know it's a film, but still, you know, I mean, it's I part of you. You know, I'm always attracted to like mysterious and edgy and, you know, forbidden things. And I think at the time in the late 80s, early 90s, when I was into it, Chucky was very scary still. And it was something that kids weren't supposed to see. But I was a kid that had yeah. seen it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's very special to me and, and it always kind of attracted me for that reason. You know, the thing with Chucky for me was it never scared me because I always felt like if he was coming for me, I'd just drop kick him and he's done. See, everybody says that, but they don't consider that he's got the power of a man in his body. So even though he's short, he could still be strong enough to like take that kick. Oh, well. I don't know. I, I, I okay. Jason, it would be a. It, I don't know if I could win that fight, but I think I can handle Chucky though. I got Chucky. Realistically, realistically, there wouldn't be Chucky. Like, right. Yeah, well, sure. well, I mean, we want to bring real realism into this. <laughs> you know, um, I I have a I've got a bunch of kids, and one of my kids actually dressed up as a good guy. That was a choice in the Halloween costume uh-huh. section. And uh, it was just this, you know, like overall plastic thing. But I have to say that that thing got a lot of use. That was uh, around the house forever was uh, this little (laughs) pretend Chucky. And you know what, Kinte? I think you're wrong. I think if you saw a possessed doll coming after you, I don't think you'd have the sense to drop kick anything. I think everybody yeah, would just freak out and run the other way. <laughs> exactly. Well, you have to understand, I've seen a lot of crazy shit in my life. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I, you're sure assuming I haven't seen anything uh, that crazy. Uh, so uh, I don't think I don't think I'd panic. I would be like, uh, I would I would, you know, get Zen. And then when he came up to me, I I do my drop kick and he's gone. He'd be gone. I, I think I think I can handle it. I think I'll be fine. So, so we'll be we'll be seeing a new movie by Kinte, and uh, it'll be about how the the vanquishing of Chucky. Yes, yes, yes. It'll be five minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and most of it is the credits. <laughs> so <laughs> definitely. So, um, so was were you always um, drawn to horror uh, at coming growing up? Yeah, I don't really know why exactly. I mean, my parents are are fans of horror movies. They have their little VHS collection of like. Day of the Triffids and Night of the Living Dead and Alice Sweet Alice. So those were some of the first ones that I saw. And then I spent my first allowance on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre on video at the flea market. And I think I just started collecting them, you know, at the time. And I ended up getting about 6,000 horror movies. And that actually led to me opening the video store I had in Nebraska right before I moved here. I kind of used that collection. But so I started making movies a few, about 10 years ago, sort of as a way to just make what I wanted more of. Like I wasn't actually making them to show to anybody. I made, I think four movies before I was convinced to start showing them to an audience. And I finally started doing it and started selling copies out of the trunk of my car. And you know, just grew into what it is now. Oh, look at you had had your Master P on. That's good. uh, Jen, he was a rapper famous back in the day uh, <laughs> who sold uh, his music out of his trunk. But uh, <laughs> but I digress. Um, so what kind of horror f- were you more attracted to? Were you more of the Hitchcockian uh, thriller type horror? Were you uh, the slasher, you know, uh, the guy lurking in the shadows coming out with the, the big butcher knife or more of the paranormal type stuff? Or What, what was your favorite? 
I wouldn't say that it's a specific genre. It's just a specific manner in which the film is made. Mm. I really like movies that are atmospheric and rely a lot on the score and, you know, like the mood and the tone of the film. So I think like that's something that's lost a lot in modern cinema. So overall, I'm more attracted to films of like the 60s, 70s and 80s, you know, early 90s. I kind of feel like in the mid 90s is when horror as a genre really changed with the Scream movies. I mean, specifically. It sort of like kind of evolved the genre and i feel like movies have changed in a bit you know since then it's since then it's like the floating heads on the cover with like cast from the wb shows and you know right. it's totally different <laughs> and it's like they don't they don't focus on the cinematography and the way the score carries the shots and you know that's something that's lost and i just wanted to bring that back those are that's how i make my yeah horror is one of those weird genres that that it's all everything and then it goes away and then uh, like a scream comes out and it's back and then there's a yeah. bunch of scream knockoffs and then it goes away and then saw comes out and there's a bunch of saw knockoffs and then yeah. it kind of dims and now we have the conjuring stuff and stuff like that um it's funny i wonder why i, I you know what i think it might be and you tell me if you agree with this is uh you know hollywood is a copycat league right uh, you know if something does well then they just want to beat it you know until it's it's no longer viable and i think what happens is something comes out we like it like scream was a great movie and then they have to shove down your throat like more like i would i don't even want to say more of the same but like cheap knockoffs of the things that you like you know and then you just end up not liking it anymore uh, I mean, do you think that's what it is, that just Hollywood just rams it down your throat? Well, yeah, I think that, I mean, when you really think about it, it's obvious that that's what they do. I mean, they kind of have to do that. When you're investing so much money in a film, you are going to follow what sells, you know, to be able to make that money back. And as long as it's selling, the same thing you guys were talking about with sequels before, it's like they will just keep making these movies as long as people keep seeing them. There will be eventually 50 Freddy Krueger movies. They're never going to actually stop. You know, it's gonna just it's gonna keep going and going and going as long as people pay for it, and that's just what they do. There'll always be the original stuff in there, but the stuff like Freddy Krueger and Jason and Leatherface is part of our culture. You know, it's sort of what we identify with that genre. If they were to completely get rid of those franchises, it wouldn't be the same. You know, fans would change. So I think that they're gonna always keep that alive through reboots and like the recon sequels. And I mean, it's the smart thing to do to make money to keep the genre. Mm-hmm. Who who would you say is is the most influential horror director or writer in Hollywood today? Or well, actually, just maybe just as as influential for you. Like, who would you say, growing up, did you idolize the most and want to emulate? Most would probably be John Carpenter because. You know, he has a heavy use of soundtrack in his films, like in, in atmosphere and timing and mood. I think that that's really important. That's what attracts me the most. But also people like uh, Toby Hooper and even um, John Waters, because they were making movies, you know, sort of the way I do it now, where it's just like the best way they could do it on the means that they had possible. And at the time, they were doing some groundbreaking stuff that became classics, and they did it on very little money. I mean, the biggest horror films of all time are still movies like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Halloween that had like $20,000 budgets, you know, and they're, they're still standing the test of time. So I think that those are obvious influences for people like that. 
Do you? There's another thing too. Is with uh, technology being the way that it is, you have your smartphones and your iPads and TVs bigger than movie screens. Um, people are less inclined to go to to see films in the theater, especially with the rising cost of going to the cinema. Um, so you. So last year was a huge dip in the box office receipts and there was a big panic in Hollywood about, you know, the future of cinema in the theater. And then this year has has been a big rebound as far as the box office receipts gone up. Do you envision a time where uh, maybe movies, uh, bigger movies forego going to the theater and, you know, we're left to just see it on on the small screen? Or do you think that uh, this is just something that it will always st- stick around seeing movies in the theater. I think it'll always sort of be there because again, it's part of our culture. I don't think people would totally want movie theaters to be gone. Cause I think that they serve a purpose as far as like premiering films and special screenings, you know, of movies and stuff and anniversary screenings. So I think that they'll stay relevant for stuff like that. I think if anything, they'll become sort of a piece of nostalgia, the way that video stores have, like they haven't completely gone away, but they're far and few in between because there's still enough people that want them. You know, and I think it's a big part of us. But I, I mean, it's already happened. A lot of like the last Chucky movie didn't come to theaters. It came out just to Amazon, you know, and streaming iTunes and stuff. And so it's already happened now. But I think that there's still enough big blockbusters out there that it won't be anytime soon. You know, they, uh, I'm shocked they haven't done a an Expendables horror you know, with uh, well, they're actually working on it right now. They announced it like a week ago. Uh, they got all the big stars in it from all the horror franchises. Are you serious? Wow. Yeah. Wow. They actually literally announced it a week ago. Oh wow! See, oh man, maybe maybe it's my fault for even putting it out there. And the... <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like there is a curiosity, like you know, you want to see it, but then there's another thing. It's like it's. It's probably gonna be lame. <laughs> Freddy vs. Jason, I thought was terrible, so I'm not right. like you know clamoring to see this. I mean, we'll see how it goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember though when I first saw Freddy vs. Jason in the theater, I actually liked it, and then I saw it again, and I was like, "What did I like about this?" <laughs> it was very it it was appealing to the you know the mainstream at the time, but it was very much a period piece. I think it's very of the era, like early 2000s. It had yeah. That the attitudes of the kids at the time and, you know, like what was popular. And I mean, that's good in a sense for like nostalgia in 20 years or whatever, but right now it's too like, ugh. Right. like it just wasn't very good. Right. It feels yeah. really dated. Yeah, it, it does. does. It does. Because it, like, it's like, I think even teenagers have evolved quickly since then with smartphone technology. Right. Cause that was right before that, you know, and now it's, now that's where we're at. And so it already makes that movie seem kind of cheesy and old. Right. Well, and and now the just the nature of what scares us, I think, is is just a little bit different. So we're open to looking at things a little bit differently in terms of what we're putting out on the screen. I mean, it sounds crazy, but I know people who are genuinely afraid of uh, what was the name of that movie? Not Unfriended, but the other one, uh, the one that just came out, where searching? he's basically what is it called? Searching. Yeah, was that the one where he's searching for his daughter? Yeah, that was yeah, that's yeah. a great movie. People were really scared about that and and it was because of sort of the interplay between the technology and the events and I I actually think that that's kind of an open medium right now. We are scared of yeah. our own technology. Yeah. That is really where it's at. I mean, you got shows like Black Mirror that are huge. Oh, you know, that's think, fabulous. 
you know, yeah, and I think that we're on the cusp of this big evolution with technology, so it definitely feeds into everything, you know, music and Right. Okay, so um, um, let's talk about, um, you uh, You said you started getting into film about 10 years ago, and uh, what was the first film that you that you produced? I actually, the first thing I did, I edited Sleepaway Camp 4, because I used to do um, what are known as fan edits online. I would take, like, deleted scenes from movies and insert them back in films or release it for free online so people can get, like, the uncut versions or extended versions. I did about 100 of those, and... Um, a producer in Australia was a fan of my work and he reached out to me. He's like, hey, I got the rights to do this. We've been trying to get it done since 1992. Um, you know, would you be willing to work on it? And I'm, of course, being a fan of the series, why would I say no? So I worked on it and that was the first thing that got my name out there. And then he produced my first feature I directed called Terror at Black Tree Forest. And that was in 2009. Oh, okay. And uh, so now, you know, uh, I imagine you're a critic of of films, right? Um, that's what got you into it. And then you were doing your edits, but now you are, you're a part of the industry. Now you're, you're creating content. So what was that like? You know, uh, I know you must have had a rush of excitement, but what was that like when you, you know, directing and producing your first, uh, your first project in 2009? Back then it was simpler times. I think when everybody's starting out, you know, you have a certain idea of how everything's going to be. And it's like, it's such an accomplishment to make a movie, you know, cause it's like, it's something you made, you put so much work in and you pulled it together with all these people. But I mean, I've done 57 features. So it gets to a point, you know, where it's just like, I don't remember six movies ago. I'm like, what? I don't even remember what movie I did last year. You know, and I, I think of time now to me is how many movies ago. Like I think of like, when I try and think of two years ago, I'm like, oh yeah, that was Amy Deville, Evil Never Dies. You know, it's like, that's how my time has become now. So it's very, <laughs> It's surreal for me in a lot of ways, you know, like I definitely enjoy the life now, but I feel like just like with anybody, once you're in it, you don't really realize it because you're working so damn hard. It's just like, yeah, it's fun, but I got a lot of work to do now. Mm. Now, you know, now you talked about atmosphere and and uh, telling stories through sound and atmosphere um, in that uh, if you can remember um, what were what were some of the what were some of the biggest challenges that you faced? in that first, uh, in your first um, film. And then think about now when you're making films, what's the difference, the challenges? I think with my first movie, what I've really become known for doing is being efficient. Like I can, I make a lot of movies in two days, you know, cause I'm really good at scheduling. I'm, I'm very thorough and efficient. I get exactly what I need and I know how I'm gonna edit it. So I don't waste any time. And I think that that's the difference maybe because with my first movie, we were all over the place. It took all this time. We were driving hours apart to different locations. And I've learned since then to keep things very centralized. You know, you save a lot of time, money, and effort if you keep things close to each other. And then that way, if one thing doesn't work out, you can bounce over here and film this scene and then go back to this scene. You're not like stuck with whatever you're stuck. So I think that that's probably the difference is just getting professional about it and knowing how to work with what you have. Also, uh, what was the acting pool like out there? It's very different because a lot of people want to do it. But, you know, obviously in Nebraska, there's not really like a lot of professional talent agencies or like big movies that are made. So nobody's really there's not a lot of professional actors, but there's a lot of theater actors and studio actors, you know, people that do little things and commercials. So there's those people. And so, like, it's not too difficult to get people cast in a movie there because there's not a lot of projects going on. You know, pretty much everybody's in whatever's happening at the time. 
So that was nice. And what was kind of sad about moving here is over the years, you develop sort of like what John Waters had. He had, he called it the Dreamlanders. It's like your group of people that's sort of with you through the whole journey, that's in all your films with you, that have reoccurring parts, that are always helping out on projects. And so I kind of developed that really well to a point where it was so streamlined with how I did everything. I was making, the last two years I was there, I was making eight movies a year, oh, you know, which is more, more than one every couple months or whatever. So it was just like insane. But since I moved here, I sort of had to like start all over again. It's like the pool's bigger here. There's way more actors, way more talent, all this other stuff, but I have to get in there. I have to meet the people and make the connections and sort of start again from the And that's just basically what I've spent this last year doing. How, how have you been received since you've been out here? Oh, man. Okay, so very polarized. There's people that freaking hate me because I come, I waltz in here out of nowhere and I'm getting all this work and I'm successful and I'm happy. And then, of course, you know, so that's going to rub some people the wrong way. And then... There's other people that are very supportive, you know, that are like, I think when you're going from a place like Nebraska to Los Angeles, you got a lot of doubters. People are like, okay, we'll see you back here in three months. You know, so I think that I've hit past that threshold where I've gotten a lot of support from back home now. It's like, wow, you know, you're successful. You're making us proud. You know, it's very awesome to see this and watch you grow. So it's, overall, it's received very well, you know, and it makes me really happy. I feel like more so than ever, I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to do. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Um, so uh, now, you, I mean, eight movies in a year—that's a lot. <laughs> that is a lot. You are a you are a um, and features. They're all features, right? Yeah. Wow, yeah. man. Uh, I got my hats off to you, man. Uh, well, that count. Yeah, shorts and music videos. I've done almost a hundred music videos. Oh wow. And, well, those are interspersed, you know, in between doing movies and everything else. I, I just stay busy. I'm like addicted to it. You know, I, I thrive off of the energy it gives me and like being able to create and have something. And so like once I finish one thing, I'm already two movies ahead. You know, it's like I already know what the next couple are and I'm working on. I, I love it. Wow. I, you're going to be one of those guys that uh, you're going to be making a movie on your deathbed. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've tried to slow down. And I'm like, OK, I'm going to do two movies this year. No, I get two movies done like the next month. And it just it doesn't doesn't ever work. Wow. That's do you awesome. have, you don't have kids, do you? No, nope, couldn't do that. <laughs> I have a cat. That's too much already. See, <laughs> see, there you go. When you don't have children, you uh, you can you can do that, you know. So, well, uh, but then what's my excuse? I don't podcast, have any kids. But... Hey, what is my sure, excuse? I, I don't have any kids, so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, that's aw- that's awesome, man. Um, so uh, let, let's talk about what you what you have going on now. I mean, you have so many projects to uh, to go over, uh, but I want to start off with um, uh, uh, let's talk about uh, let's talk about uh, conspiracy X. Okay. What, what can you tell us about that? Um, that is an anthology film that was produced by Trash Arts out of the UK. And they involved a bunch of different directors from around the world to do different segments that were based on conspiracy theories. So I did one on the skunk ape. The what? It's called the skunk ape, like from the Boggy Creek movies, Legend of Boggy Creek. Oh, you know, no, he like lurks, lurks in Arkansas and in the backwoods and the swamps. He's like Bigfoot. He's like a southern version of Bigfoot. Uh-huh. Um, I just saw so- Netflix about that. It, it, really good. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, yeah, my short was called Skunk Ape Slumber Party. 
and it's set in the 80s. It's like a group of girls, you know, having their little slumber party doing each other's nails. And they hear a noise outside and they get their daddy's gun and then they're scared by the, the skunking. The whole thing's like five minutes long. I think all of them are about that long. <laughs> oh, that's cool. And it's cool that you get to, you know, uh, your work is included with other filmmakers. That's pretty awesome. You know, that's really, of all things, what's gotten my name out there the most. I think that whenever I get an opportunity like that, I always try and say yes, because especially stuff that's produced internationally. It's like so many people I don't know see that, you know, and, and are exposed to my work. And that leads to them getting into my, to other work I do. So I love doing stuff like that. If I have a day I could spare to go shoot something like I am today, after I get off the, this interview, you know, I'm doing another anthology short for Creepypasta. So it's like, I, I'm always about it if I can do it. Oh, wonderful. And, you know, we were talking about uh, Return of the Living Dead at the, the start of the show, and you just did a, a short for the DVD, was it? Yeah, um, I actually, I interviewed, it was a, a special feature for Return of the Living Dead 2 Blu-ray by uh, Shout Factory. It was an interview with Troy Froman. He was the actor at the beginning of the movie that's that pot-smoking uh, army guy that drops the trioxin that causes the whole outbreak. So we did an interview together. <laughs> How did that turn out? Good. You know, it's interesting. We actually had to do it twice because he has a family restaurant, um, Roman Deli, and I think it's Santa Monica. And uh, we went there first because he wanted to show us his restaurant. He, he treated us to dinner. It was super nice. And we tried doing the interview there first, but it was like, you know, restaurant setting. There's people talking. And so when we listened to it later, I was like, crap, there's no way we want to put this on the Blu-ray. So I actually went back to his parents' house like a week later and did it again. But it, we were glad we did because it was a better interview and he was a lot more enthusiastic. And on the Blu-ray, it came together really nice because they cut in you know, clips from the movie when he's talking about it. It's a really nice piece. It came out really well. Nice. And I imagine you're a, a, a big fan of that film, right? Oh, yeah. Well, 80s camp, you know, is re really resonates with me. That was the era of Michael Jackson's thriller. You know, like the same people that worked on those zombies worked on those those ones, too. Right. And so it's all sort of intertwined for me, like my love for that that time. So I definitely am a fan of now, um, we let's talk about Robo Woman. <laughs> What's that about? <laughs> oh my goodness! Okay, so it's very in the now with the Me Too movement because it's a rape revenge movie, but it's also infused with uh, science fiction sensibilities. It's about a woman on her last day at a temp agency that's invited out on a date by a coworker, and after a night on the town, they walk through the park and she's attacked by him and his friends. It's a setup. They beat her, rape her, and leave her for dead. Uh, her roommate discovers her and they end up going and getting this experimental new form of cybernetic surgery because her arm is basically no longer functional and neither are her eyes. Her mm. she, she gets a robotic arm attached and a visor that gives her sort of like a special sort of vision. And she ends up using those new abilities to track down all of the assailants and murder them all by. Oh, wow. And Mel Novak's in it too as well. Akia Long, Mel Novak, Sue Price, Donnelly Heising. We've got quite a few names in it. It's really cool. Oh, cool, cool. Uh, so um, how far into production are you? You're just pre-production, right? We're technically in production because a couple months ago when I had some other actors here from out of town, we shot three scenes for the movie and we used those to cut the, the promotional trailer. And then we actually shoot all the rest of the movie on um, November 15th through the 9th. Oh, okay. So I, I know you must be very excited about that. I'm excited for it to be over. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those things. It's like, this has been such an elaborate, huge production. You know, I have, I do so many a year that I have a lot of really small movies. Then I have movies like Nemesis and Robo Woman, where it's just like so much is going into it. It'll be worth it in the end, but man, I'll be happy. When we now, now you mentioned Nemesis. Talk about that. 
Yeah, Nemesis 5. Um, it's a sequel to the Nemesis franchise by Albert Pune. He did Cyborg and Mean Guns back in the 90s. Um, the last one, Part 4, came out in 1996. So in 2017, I approached Albert about making a sequel, and I bought the rights from him, and we made that actually in Nebraska. That was my transitional film. I started production in Nebraska and finished it in California. Nice. Yeah. It basically, it plays off the fact that it's been 20 years because we introduce um, a new lead who's trained by Sue Price, who's the lead of parts two, three, and four. She's the new model. She trains her basically, it's like Terminator in a lot of ways where cyborgs have taken over the world and there's very little humans left that are sort of part of this resistance. And so it's about her getting trained and using not necessarily her physical abilities, but her mental abilities to overthrow the, the new regime and, you know, have humanity take back over. So we did that almost a whole year of making that. It's recently hit the festival circuit. I won Best Director twice, Best Feature, Best Actor, Best Actress. And it comes out to DVD uh, in December, actually, from Worldwide Multimedia. Congratulations. Congratulations. Yeah. Yes. That's amazing. Yeah. So, you know, taking on, um, you know, uh, part five of a of a, a franchise, uh, was there any nerves with that? I mean, I know you, you approached them about doing it, but... Um, you know, there's still there's people that love that that franchise. So, were you was there any nerves about it, or are you just you just ready to go? Every single project, there's nerves. I mean, I think it's something common with artists. I've read a lot about it and heard a lot about it. You know, we have a lot of anxiety, which causes us to be creative people. We infuse that in that. So, I'm always I've always got a lot of nerves. You know, doing anything a project like that. You know, it was massive. There was a lot of daunting feelings with making that movie. But I mean, like you said, I approached him and I did that for a reason because I needed to push myself. You know, it, I had done smaller films up to that point and that was the film that really changed my life. I mean, I was in the middle of making that movie when I moved to California. It changed everything for me. And I think subconsciously I knew that. And so I was ready for it and I set myself up for it and I executed it exactly how I wanted to. Nice, man, nice. Now, this next movie I'm gonna ask you about, um, Man, I wish I knew you there because I, I, it seems like this is a movie I might have even wanted to try to get in. <laughs> uh, Horn Dogs uh, Beach uh, Party. <laughs> I don't know. You're going to bring it up. Okay. Horn Dogs Beach Party is a movie I was hired to do it. It's a beach comedy, actually. It's a throwback to like Porky's and Summer School. It's like a two guys and two girls that are double booked at an Airbnb one weekend. It's the big weekend of Horn Dogs Beach Party. And so. Basically, they're forced to get along and stay together over the weekend and hilarity ensues because there's love interests that develop. And we had like Troy Froman was in that. That's actually how I first worked with him. Uh, Alana Evans. I interviewed girl. Alana Evans before. Yeah, yeah. She's fantastic. She's in it. Um, uh, Donnelly Heisen's in that. Peter Stickles, uh, Gregory Blair. We had quite a few people. And Brink Stevens is in that. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of fun to make. Um, I'm not 100% happy with the version that came out. Hmm. There was a bit of issue with the producer where the film was pretty drastically altered for release. So I had a lot of fun making the movie and I have my director's cut of Super Proud of, but unfortunately the only version that's out there right now is the one that he made. So I haven't been promoting it a whole lot. People kind of know that. Hmm. Uh, That's the industry, you know? I mean, I've done, like I was saying, almost 60 films. There's going to be a few that that happens, you know, that's just part of it. It's a learning experience. Mm. So you you got that tough skin. So you just you used to it. I mean, can you picture though? In ten years, you've done so many films. I mean, it has to be. 
I mean, from a guy who was doing the fan edits to where you're at now, I mean, I'm, do you ever take a moment to think about, you know, what, what's become of you? I think it's hard for anybody to realize, like, I don't, I hate calling myself famous, but I would say comparatively to where I was, I am now, but it doesn't feel like it because you kind of, once you hit that point, it's like, there's give and take, you know, there's, there's pros and cons. It's like, I really enjoy where I'm at now and I'm so grateful for everything I have, but it does not come without its fair share of hard work. I mean, it takes a lot of work to get here, you know? And so I think that if anything, I'm more humbled now and I have more perspective. You know, like I, I appreciate it more now that I have. So, so what's the next uh, project that we should be on the lookout for, from you? Okay, well, um, well, right now, just that came out is a movie called House of Pain. It was um, basically Get Out meets uh, Purge meets The Strangers. Um, it's a racially charged film about a group of Hispanic, like Hispanic family that moves into a, a racist neighborhood. And these racists once a year sacrifice this minority family to a demon god to keep their neighborhood pure. So this was very much last year when all of that racial stuff was happening in the media that we kind of like grabbed onto that, you know, and really went with what was what was in everybody's view. So that movie just came out as well as a movie I did called Conjuring Curse. That's an anthology film. It's a haunted movie that takes place every 10 years in this house, like starting in the 70s, like a group of kids are playing in the house and they accidentally there's a little girl that's murdered so her ghost haunts it and every 10 years like in the 80s a metal band is drawn to the house and the 90s some ravers are drawn to the house you know and then the 2000 a young couple and so it's about every 10 years how it affects the community so both wow. of those movies, yeah both of those movies just came out i'm actually at the very end of tales from the grave that's a web series i started it's uh six different directors each doing their own episode and we're on season two episode five right now so the next one comes out October 30th. And then also a movie I directed called Runaway Nightmare. Um, I'm premiering for free on Halloween. It's going to be on YouTube for one day. Oh. And we actually just filmed that less than a month ago. Oh, wow. Well, that, that tale, that uh, House of Pain, I can, uh, I feel like I've lived in that neighborhood before. <laughs> so <laughs> definitely. Um, so, uh, I mean, what's your ultimate goal? I mean, is there, a, is there a, uh, do you have like a, a film that you want to do that maybe um, you haven't had a chance yet to do or, you know, um, what's, uh, what is something that you want to do? You know, I feel like I'm never, once I achieve something, I set a new goal. Mm. So it's like, I've already surpassed, you know, several goals I've set for myself. And so I'm always sort of just, trying to improve myself and be as creative as I can. Like, I don't know how much you've been following me, but I do rap music too. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm, I was about to get into that. <laughs> I do rap music and I wrote a book, you know, I do all sorts of different things just to stay creative, to have an outlet for that. So I think ultimately I just want to be happy. I want to be safe and secure doing what I want. I think that's the ultimate part. I'm glad you brought that up because uh, I wanted to ask you about, uh, how long have you been um, rapping? Since, 2014, I think is when I did the first stuff. I met um, this guy named E-Rocker out of Germany. I had done some music videos for him. It's like electro breakdance music. And I was super into it at the time. And I told him, you know, I was like, hey, what are the chances if I recorded some vocals that you make some beats and we could do a song together? And he's like, hey, let's give it a shot. So we did an EP in 2015 called Welcome to My Bass. And Egyptian Lover did a remix on it for Egyptian us. Egyptian Lover. Yeah, I did a video for him. So it's sort of like a trade that was really cool of him. 
And then we had another EP that came out three months ago called Hollywood Rock. But it was really weird because that was also breakdance electro. But then at that same time, I was transitioning to California and my whole perspective on music changed. I got really, really into like the modern rap scene that's going on. You know, like the Instagram stuff, the stuff that Bad Baby, Asian Doll, Cuban Doll, I love that stuff. And so that really, really inspired me. And I was like, you know, I love what I'm doing with E-Rocker, but it's electro and we're doing these like three track EPs. I'm like, I've got enough stuff in my head for like 15 songs right now. You know, so I started like approaching different hip hop producers and getting beats from them and writing my own lyrics and just mixing it myself. I started putting it out on SoundCloud and then doing music videos and then post show uh, magazine played Midnight Dancer and that kind of blew up. So it's taken off a little bit. Congratulations, man. That's awesome. It's a good outlet for me because the movies are one way of expressing myself, but they're more like ideals, whereas like music is more like your thoughts and feelings and the real you. It's like I can vocalize my feelings through the music. So I really like having that out. Do you perform live at all? Um, I've done it one time and it was a Facebook live actually, but I'm gonna be doing a couple shows at the end of this year. I'm gonna be doing my first live performances. I have a friend of mine that's gonna be touring around here and so he's bringing me on as his opening act. So we'll see how it goes. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah, that sounds fun. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's so cool, man. Um, okay, so we're at the part of the show we affectionately love to call rapid fire and the way that rapid fire works is that uh me and jen will pepper you with some questions are you ready i'm ready all right so the first question we always start off with is a couple of years ago at coachella we did a hologram concert i mean they did a hologram concert for the rapper tupac what dead artist or band would you like to see a hologram concert of oh my gosh a hologram concert of Oh, I actually, I wish I had seen the Michael Jackson one. Does that count? I know that that was a hologram concert. That's fine. And I wish I had seen that because that was so amazing on TV. I was blown away by it. Look, Michael Jackson is always the right answer. So <laughs> it could be, who would you want to be president right now? Michael Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take Michael Jackson. All right. All right. Go ahead, Jen. All right. Uh, it's almost Halloween. So I'm going to ask you, of all of the shows, from 2017-2018 that are horror genre related what's your favorite okay i'm gonna sound so lame because i legit don't watch any of that stuff i have never seen the walking dead i have not oh. seen this new haunting of hill house i have seen half of season one of american horror story i am so completely out of touch i'm actually watching 911 right now Oh, wow. it's, 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 hey, that's, that's scary. That's, that's a horror show. It, it, that's your seat. So I don't know if that doesn't count, but obviously I also like, um, I watch old stuff. Like I'm going through the Tales from the Crypt series and the Tales from the Dark Side. I watch that stuff all the time. So really my jam with TV is stuff 20 years ago. Yeah, my favorite uh, Tales from the Crypt, the Carrion Death with the, uh, that's a great episode, uh, classic. The first four seasons are all stellar. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, so, what is your favorite guilty pleasure junk food? Taco Bell. <laughs> Taco Bell, okay. <laughs> I go to Taco Bell a lot. <laughs> I love Taco Bell. Yeah, it's Taco Bell. All right. Go ahead, Jane. Okay. <clears throat> of In your childhood, as you grew up, tell me what your favorite story was. Didn't have to be scary. I was actually really obsessed with the story of it's in like a urban legends book about the girl with the ribbon around her neck and mm. they took the ribbon off her head fell off mm. 
Ooh, good one. Mm. It's like, yeah, it's like this boy falls in love with this girl that's new to town and she's quiet, never talks, and she always wears this pink little ribbon around her neck. And everybody always wonders why she has it. And one day he goes on a date with her and takes it off, like pulls it off of her, and her head falls off. And that just like scarred me for life. So yeah, I was you thinking, are dark. I'm <laughs> <laughs> from our elementary school library. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you got to do your Mount Rushmore. That's four heads of uh, of your favorite horror characters. Who would it, who would be on your Mount Rushmore? Oh my gosh, you guys are killing me. Okay, so four people from horror. It would have to be Leatherface because I mean, come on, Leatherface. <laughs> um, Chucky. Uh, Michael Myers has earned it. Ooh, but I don't know if it should be Freddy or Pinhead. I would say overall there's better Nightmare on Elm Street movies, so probably Freddy. Okay. And you know the cool thing about putting Michael Myers on there, you're also putting William Shatner on it. (laughs) (laughs) Two for one. All right, all right. Go ahead, Jen. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm going to have to laugh about that one because I can just imagine William Shatner going, whoa, I made it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I don't know if you're. I don't know if you know what. I'm. I'm sure you know what this is. So I'm just gonna ask it outright because you, you. This is what you do, right? Do you, have. Do you know what creepypasta is? Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually <clears throat> legit. Right when we get done with this interview, I'm filming a segment for the creepypasta movie. It's called Creepypasta the Movie. Sweet. Okay. So I'm gonna okay. ask you, what is your favorite creepypasta? Slenderman. Oh my God, Slenderman. Good. One. Like. That is so, what I think is interesting about it, because I just saw the movie and it was panned. Everybody hated it. I loved it. I thought what was so great about it was that it played on how these girls created it in their mind. It's like this obsession with social media and how it's sort of like kids get a warped sense of what reality is through like Facebook and Instagram. And it was very cool how like this thing that was made up on social media became real enough for them to be affected by it and like kill their friends. So I think that that's like such an intriguing idea in itself. Not necessarily just the character of Slenderman, but the idea that they could create it in that manner. Mm, okay. All right. So here's the last question: It's the zombie apocalypse. So you in, you have to have a melee weapon, you know, like a bat or something, and a gun. What kind of gun would you have, and what kind of melee weapon? I'd have a steel bat and a Glock. Okay. Because I think that both of those are the easiest to control in tight situations. All right, I, I love it. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Because when people say like, "I'll have a chainsaw," you like chainsaw is not the best you thing. Get gasoline for it and stuff. I mean, be realistic. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's not practical. You know, no, not at all. You get tired of carrying it after a while. Like, right, and then the the sound would attract more. <laughs> right. Uh, that's good. Well. Uh, Dustin, I'd like to thank you so much for being on the show, man. And I'm yeah. so excited for, um, you know, your your next projects. Uh, and please let me know when you have a, a premiere or something out here. Because, you know, I live out here in Los Angeles. So uh, Jen can't come because she's in Hawaii. So boo to you, Jen. <laughs> but um, I would definitely love to check you out, man. Uh, how can people get you in social media? Tell us when we can find some of your, your work. And... Um, and once again, tell us that the next project. Okay. Um, well, as far as social media goes, I'm on Instagram as the only dirty D. I'm on Facebook. I have a public profile that is accessible to anybody, but I also have a director's page that's the only Dustin Ferguson. So it's pretty easy to find me both ways. 
Um, my next, technically my next project is the Thrill Kill Cult music video, which I didn't get a chance to mention. We're filming that November 9th. Um, let's see what else ready to cover. Uh, what else is there? Social media, next project. And website? Website, website. You know, I don't have a website anymore. I'm just all about social media. It's where everybody's at. It's where the kids go. So, I mean, Facebook and Instagram. Is I don't even have Twitter, though. I'm, I'm a little dated. I, I don't I don't understand Twitter. <laughs> hey, it's okay. Hey, you know, I wouldn't have Twitter if it wasn't for this show. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, so, I feel like I only have Facebook because of the, the movie stuff. But, hey, it's a necessity these days. So. Right. All right. So, Jen, how can people get you in social media and tell us about your websites? Well, <clears throat> excuse me. People can get me on social media at following bliss one. Uh, they can also find me on the web at moviesmakethemeal.com and criticallaughs with two L's.com. Also, <clears throat> I just wanted to give a quick shout out to something that's happening uh, in about two days. Sci fi, we were just talking about creepypasta. Sci fi is premiering the next entry into the Channel Zero realm, and it's called The Dream Door. And it's a little bit different because sci fi is going to put on a show a night until Halloween when they'll have sort of the finale. Um, and this one is pretty good. This one is actually an interesting one. It's about the hidden door. So it should be pretty fun. Mm. All the Channel Zeros have been amazing, but the presentation of this is real different. Instead of one a week, we're going to get one a night until Halloween. It starts on the 26th of October. All right, I can dig it. Thank you. Uh, you can get me at Kente F on Twitter. That's K-I-N-T-E-F on Twitter. You can get us uh, at IndieRadio.org. That's I-N-D-Y Radio.org. We'll be back. Uh, actually, we have a special episode coming up Sunday um, uh, at um, 12, um, 12 noon, which is also 3 o'clock Eastern. Sorry about that. that um it's a weird time for us, but uh, uh, we have, um, she is a social media expert, blogger. Uh, actually, she says to make sure she's quoted as the social media diva, <laughs> Elaine Smith. Uh, she'll be joining us. I'm so excited. I've been wanting to have this young lady on their, our show for a long time, and uh, she's going to teach us about navigating through the worlds of social media, which we, I think we all need uh, some lessons on that, but uh, that is this Sunday. So it's a special episode. Um, and um, also, so we won't be on next uh, Wednesday cause it's going to be Halloween. So uh, we're, yeah, we're going to treat it like it's a holiday. Yeah. It is a holiday, right? For all of us crazy people. So, so uh, we'll see you next time right here on IndieRadio.org. Peace, everybody.